This is an audio recording of the Lendit Fintech Weekly News Show. The show is streamed live on Lendit TV, LinkedIn, YouTube, and Twitter at 5 p.m. Eastern Time every Thursday. In this fast-paced show, the Lendit News team and a special guest discuss the most important fintech news stories of the past week. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the Fintech Nexus weekly news show. My name is Peter Renton, chairman and co-founder of Fintech Nexus, joined as always by Todd Anderson, my good friend and colleague. How are you doing, Todd? I'm good, Peter. How are you? I'm doing great. And back once again, we have Kat Utech from Core Innovation. How are you doing, Kat? Well, excited for the fireworks this week. <laughs> yes, indeed. We have some fireworks to discuss. So let's uh, let's get right into it. The biggest news of the week, I think, is the is the um, crypto broker Voyager Digital, you know, basically filing for Chapter Eleven bankruptcy protection. They had a bit of a, a run on the bank, and you know, the biggest thing they did which in hindsight was probably the dumbest thing they did was uh, they um, they loaned Three Arrows Capital, $650 million, which I don't know if they got any of that back, but uh, certainly very, not very much as Three Arrows have been liquidated. And, you know, they're, um, they're basically, they've got, they got some money from, um, from SBF, uh, Alameda Research, the um, Sam Bankman-Fried firm. Um, they've, had, they've just had a horrible time of it, and they are publicly traded on the Toronto Stock Exchange. But um, it appears, you know, that the CEO is putting on a brave face, and we're just reorganizing. We're going to get everything back. We're not, people aren't going to get all their money back, but I'll get a good chunk of it, get some equity in the new, in the new reorganized company. And off to the races we go again. So we'll see. Um, what are you guys' thoughts? It's a nice spin to put on, but um, <laughs> <laughs> clearly it's it's just another casualty in um, you know the contagion that's still uh, taking place. And you know, similar to Celsius and and BlockFi, um, you know, I think uh, Voyager was twenty three to one with their ratio. Yeah, uh, and so clearly, access to equity, yeah. And so obviously they got overextended, just like Celsius did. And then withdrawals came, and then Celsius news came, and then withdrawals came fast and furious, and uh, they couldn't keep up. And so, you know, it's a, you know, I think it's a big lesson that uh, a lot of these companies are learning, which I hope others will heed in the future. Uh, though it seems that, you know, some people, uh, will make mistakes regardless of what the lessons <laughs> might be in the past. Um, but, you know, there's there's going to be a lot of carnage still to come, and hopefully the crypto industry uh, overall learns and comes out a lot stronger for it. Yeah, I think the top two lessons, one is don't be over-levered, and then two, customer concentration really does matter. You lose yeah. one big one and it might take you out. Yeah, yep. and that's really, I mean, who knows what would have happened if they if they hadn't gone through, the th- done the three arrows deal, but uh, they did do it and it's been, it's been ugly and yeah, lots of, uh, there'll, there'll be more, more to come on that story as time goes on. But I wanted to get to another one, Kat, particularly if, um, get your perspective. The New York Times had a piece, I think it was just today, actually, mm-hmm. Um you know, basically, it's not not real news that startup funding is down, um, but they had some stats on it. Um, 
you know, basically talking about uh, investments in U.S. startups uh, plunged 23% um, from quarter over quarter. Um, first six months, when you take it, it was obviously plunged, plunged in the first quarter as well. First six months, acquisitions and IPOs plunged 88% from a year ago. Um, mm-hmm. But the big thing here, and this is the different, the, the, the thing that's different this time is what it feels like. VC firms have collected $122 billion in new commitments so far this year. So, Kat, what do you make of all of that? Yeah, I mean, actually, I, I had something from an investment bank sent me today, uh, at least in the insurance uh, tech startup land. It's down 60% since um Q4 of 2021. So it's definitely down. And just anecdotally, um, me talking to GPs at other funds, I think a lot of people are taking the summer off. So if you don't have to, I would not I would not raise during the summer. People mm-hmm. say they might come back in September. We'll see what happens and how strong it will co- happen. Um, and I think valuations will be more normalized when people do come back. Um, but we're seeing overall a, a big slowdown. You know, on the M&A front, interestingly enough, I've talked to some of the big incumbents um, in, in people doing BD and M&A, and they seem pretty active. Now, I think some are hunting for deals, but right. there's still a lot of incumbents that have a decent amount of cash that need technology that during COVID realize that they really do want to go digital. So I think we'll see some interesting opportunities, maybe not at the valuations we thought they would be, but I think you see a lot of these, you know, series A and B companies that struggle to raise um, get picked up and some of the later stage ones too. And I think there might be decent exits. Um, I don't I don't think anyone, you know, not everyone's going to get killed, um, but definitely, definitely a slowdown on the investment front. I mean, another thing we're not really expecting is IPOs the rest of this year or, or probably most of next from, you know, all the banks and the analysts that I've talked to. Right. right. Yeah, I was just reading a piece on the train that, basically the IPO market's going to be frozen. You know, maybe they're like, oh, maybe five deals will get done. Maybe a couple more uh, in 22 and, you know, even in the first half of 23. And, and, you know, I think a lot of companies, especially growth stage companies uh, looking for that capital to continue going are are going to be in a heap of trouble. I think a lot of uh, what I've talked to early stage startups and investors might, be a little bit better off but even then it's it's not going to be a good summer and hopefully things begin to ease a bit in the fall but um you know things are really hurting out there right now yeah i would have tried to tell some of the investors though i'm hoping people have more long-term thinking right because people keep talking about this lasting maybe 24 30 months no one really knows but eventually i think the market will come back i think mm-hmm. we're some of the lowest you know lows i i can't see software multiples, you know, being lower than the forex the that they're hitting around now. So I think if you take the long-term view, a lot of these startups aren't going to sell in the next two years. So if you have really good partners as investors, hopefully they'll support you. So you make it past this. And then again, I, I mean, I really hope the multiples never go as crazy as, as they were in 2020 and 2021. Um, but I do think there has to be some kind of normalization and we might've went a little bit too extreme um, so hopefully, you know, both investors and entrepreneurs will get to more long-term thinking of where this is going to balance out. Well, well before we move on, Kat, just one last thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you said like VCs raised huge amounts of money. I mean, what are they just going to be parking that money and and not and deploying it much more slowly than they expected and that, that they told their LPs they would? 
I don't think so. You know what I think they're going to do is they're going to pour money into companies that they think are winners. Um, and I think they might even double down on those winners and do even more than the Parada, especially now that, you know, they might have been in at a cost basis that was like at a 20x multiple. Now they can get in at a 10x multiple and also support their company. And so I think it will all you know balance out for entrepreneurs, and investors. So I think there are are going to be money for the best companies. I have seen a lot of inside rounds done and not inside rounds done because the company's struggling. It's because the company's actually doing well. And we just want to make sure that they have enough runway, you know, that can get them through that two or three years where they can keep their, their foot on the gas and not have to worry that they're going to go out in a bad market 18 months from now. So I think a lot of that money will be put to work, but you'll see it more in follow-ons and initial investments. Right, right. Okay, so moving on, we're going to talk about uh, FTX, the Sam Bankman-Fried's uh, company, and um, not his investment company, his operating company. And he's basically that this was an article in the Wall Street Journal this week. Uh, he's waiting on CFTC approval. He wants to basically start um, a derivatives, uh, crypto derivatives. Uh, exchange i guess uh crypto root of his operation and he wants it to run 24 7 clearly this is not the way things have been done he wants to do one without brokers um just dealing directly with uh with ftx you know it's a big ask to basically redo the way things have been done for decades um but um they're pushing for it and there's a lot of push back um from the traditional players and i think it's also interesting the timing right now with all the other things that he's involved in, and they're not necessarily connected in terms of you know Celsius to, to what he's he's looking at here, but politicians and, and regulators connect these things uh, partially for PR, uh, and so I, I'd be curious how that plays into this. Um, at the same time, you know, this is a pretty entrenched market as is with how they do things. Uh, and especially the uh, in the story I was reading, uh, I forget maybe it was in the journal, with um, you know the brokers being you know the go between and offering credit when someone you know has that margin call and uh, you know if a, if this automated version doesn't allow for that uh, and what that might mean for the market and, and kind of the the gatekeeping aspect of brokers and the power they have, I. I'd be surprised if this just gets greenlit uh, without some conditions or changes. Uh, but I think it's interesting kind of all these different pieces playing right now, especially with how much he's had to step in with uh, the crypto lenders at the same time. Yeah. I mean, again, that he's a guy I wouldn't want to bet against, but you do have a lot of people highly incented to not see this go through. So I think there will be challenges mm -hmm. and especially in the market we're in, and you're watching a lot of end consumers, you know, and, and, and institutions, you know, which we just talked about blow up that you might not see the CFTC or any regulatory body be that excited to, to start trying new things, especially when the incumbents are screaming, you know, they're taking on more risks they're taking on more risks. So, um, I think, I think he might have an uphill battle for a bit here. Yeah, it'd be a ballsy regulator to just get it to green light this without <laughs> any without any kind of, you know, given where, like, given what all the blowups that are happening. You know, I read somewhere this week too that SBS net worth has gone from $26 billion to $8 billion in uh, in the last six months. So, yeah, it's still $8 billion. <laughs> Eight billion yeah. is still good, still good, but uh, not, not, uh, not what it used to be. Anyway, moving on. Um, I want to talk about the, the crypto lender Nexo. 
We had Vold, which um, is was is a smaller crypto lender. You know, the crypto lenders are just really struggling. Let's just face it right now. We've got obviously the Celsius news and the BlockFi news, and now Vold is really struggling, and Nexo's trying to pick them up. They've got a 60-day, they've got a term sheet that gives them 60 days exclusivity to negotiate a deal. Um, they're starting their due diligence and um you know, it's uh, you know, apparently Nexo also tried to buy Celsius, but couldn't get that deal done. Um, they, they clearly see a way. This is this, you know, they've they're well capitalized, it seems, and this is a way for them to 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 take, pick up some uh, great deals. I think the crypto lending market's going to look a lot different. Mm-hmm. Uh, it already does. <laughs> it does now, and and I think the the way they operate in the future is going to look a lot different too. Uh, I think you're going to see some change, some material changes into how they operate, um, and that'll be good. I think, uh, at least in the short term, and, and see if they you know, continue those practices long term. But clearly, like Anthony of Nexo said, you know there'll be fewer companies, but a lot of those fewer companies will probably be stronger companies at the same time. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens to the interest rates, right? Like, it seemed a bit too good to be true that you could get seven percent returned without taking on any risk. Um, so I don't know if they're going to come anywhere close to the rates that they were able to provide. Uh, and clearly there was a lot of risk because a lot of people can't get their money out, which I right. can't imagine how frustrating uh, that must be. And that, that that's what's had the Wild West kind of feel to it. You know, I remember going into some of these things. I remember like Luna talking about, you know, 8% returns and on a stable coin with, with very little risk controlled algorithmically and, I mean, I, I actually, you know, I almost pulled the trigger on that to, to buy some myself and because it just, it sounds compelling, but it's really. I mean, even if you look at like Voyager, the, in some of their marketing materials, they were basically implying that they had FDIC. I, that was terrible. That when was when you looked at it, it was only if I think Metropolitan or whatever the bank that they're using, it's only if that bank failed, not if Voyager failed. So if Voyager right. failed, your funds were gone. But the in they implied the other way around. Yeah. And so you had a lot of this bravado as well. And in reality, when, you know, the, the you know, crap hit the fan, a lot of these companies went under pretty quickly. Yeah. yeah. I feel bad for a lot of the people that really didn't understand what they were signing up for. It's yeah. kind of like the, there's, there's no free lunch. I, I try to think about like the plus side of it is now, especially there were like a lot of young kids that were invested in this. I think they learned a good lesson that like, you know what, there's, there's not return without risk. And, you know, hopefully this makes all the young adults that were invested better investors kind of going forward. Yeah. I've, I mean, that's, that's the lesson. I mean, that, and good like, case I, studies you, for schools. You read yeah. this. I mean, you read some ridiculous stories of people having like $2 million, like a 22 year old with $2 million worth of Luna. And mm-hmm. that was 99% of his net worth. And now it was worth zero sort of thing. Yeah. So uh, hopefully they've learned a lesson. Anyway, moving on for another company that's learned a lesson, hopefully is Meta. <laughs> Meta is, this has been, this is an interesting saga. It's been going for what, four years, five years Meta, um, Facebook, uh, you know, basically announced uh, their digital wallet, digital payment system, um, several years ago, and now that now it feels like that whole chapter, whole chapter has come to an end. They've pulled the plug on Novi, which was their digital wallet. They may be using the tech in their metaverse type product, and that's you know that that's to be de- to be determined. But I can't think of a 
more mismanaged project that uh, than what that Facebook sort of went through with their whole kind of you know digital wallet experience. Yeah, I mean, I appreciate people taking on ambitious challenges, and they did, and they tried to rise to occasion when when it seemed like there was going to be a market there, and they figured they had such a great. Uh, you know, population of people to get them to to roll onto a stable coin and use it. Um, I think you know the intentions and the overall thesis was was was, was good, and then um, clearly it didn't work out. Now was that because the execution or there really wasn't product market fit there? Uh, I'm not sure because I wasn't that deep into it. But they did, you know, they did grab some great people around that project, and um, you know, I think if you're watching Meta lately, clearly they have to innovate in certain ways. And so they might try things and at least they know when to pull the plug if it's not working. And, and, and you know, honestly, it seems like they maybe should have pulled the plug uh, a couple years ago after some of the main people that were working on Libra left. Uh, that could have probably been a good sign that it really wasn't working. But good to see them try to do something now. Yeah, that's a good point, Kat. All right. Feels like they went the opposite way around. Huge fanfare instead of maybe like a a pilot project with some of the names. Do it small. If it proved out, great, and then blow it up from there. Um, but you know they went for the big home run and mm-hmm. they swung and missed. Uh, and you know, I'm sure they're gonna you know the tech that they've built. I'm sure will be used in some capacity. Uh, you know, it's not like they have idiots over there. Yeah, yeah, and that's the thing that uh, I mean. Then they had some good partners when they when they launched. I, I remember what they had like a just a an A list uh, partnership uh, you know, on the when the Libra sort of first launched, and you know it it felt like know. they did it without like at least alerting regulators at all because it was like a week or two after regulators, you know, I think came out with a statement or said something and, you know, a handful, I think it was four or five people pulled out like in that first few week period, it it feels like there was some early missteps that maybe they could have managed a little bit better. Yeah. They did attract some great investors. I know we had spent time looking at it and and ended up not getting it. I don't, I don't know if you recall, I think, you know, you you invested $10 million and you got something for it and they attracted some of the, the best FinTech investors. I think it was an ambitious project. Um, In hindsight, I'm just happy I didn't invest in it. (laughs) <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Okay. Uh, also in uh, in the Wall Street Journal this week, Klarna. Now, Klarna, the news goes from bad to worse for Klarna. I mean, they raised at forty five point six billion dollar valuation in twenty twenty one. At the time, I think we talked about that, saying that's crazy. It's it's not sustainable. They, were, they initially went went out for this latest round with a fifty billion dollar valuation, then thirty. They then 15, and now it looks like 6.5 is where they're settling at $650 million, um, led mainly led by Sequoia, mainly from existing investors. You know, it's, um, I think they probably, I mean, I, I, mean, I feel like at $45 billion valuation, they, they, I would have hoped that they could have uh, stayed away from the markets and just tried to ride what they, what they, what they, um, you know, raised last last year, but uh, you know they're they're growing fast, and I see Klarna everywhere. They are absolutely everywhere, and you and you clearly they've um, you know they they're they're growing rapidly. But um, boy, it's a it's a blow for employees and existing mm-hmm. investors for sure. Yeah, I think a lot of the investors will end up okay, right? Obviously, not the later stage ones. They got caught up in the hype, but those guys are probably in some other deals that are fine. I, I really do feel for 
all the employees and right. It's just not a Klarna. It's at a lot of these companies that are down, you know, 80 to 90%. And I, I think people might've thought a correction, but it would have been hard to predict like this much of a correction. Um, so uh, for those people, I think it ends up being a boon though to the earlier stage tech ecosystem because people are jumping ship from companies like this and going into earlier stage companies um, or to companies that had more reasonable valuations. Uh, this might be, I feel like this whole uh, episode should be called lessons learned and we could have went like one through a hundred um, <laughs> you know, and could have ordered it like, like there, but this might be where, you know, the, the turtle wins the race and it was like slow and steady. And you, you've watched a bunch of companies and even in the BNPL space that literally had CEOs going, okay, yeah, we should be valued more than a lender, but should we be valued like 10 or 20 X times like a typical lender? And, and that was, you know, the, the valuations were a bit egregious. Um, so I think those that were slow and steady and that were more valuation sensitive, but to be more conservative, I think they're going to end up winning here. And so, you know, again, it's a good lesson, right? Sometimes you're on top, sometimes you're not, but being a good partner all the time and knowing that this is like a long game and not like over-optimizing for short-term hysteria, both on the, on the side when multiples are going up or right now when multiples are going down, I don't think investors should be completely taking advantage of the situation. I think it should be like, let's be a good partner. Sometimes things are going to be up and sometimes things are going to be down. So um, yeah, it's, it's real tough for the employees, but hopefully uh, Klarna will get back to work and that they'll be able to, you know, they've already built something pretty special and they'll, they'll be able to move forward from here. Mm -hmm. I think it's also a good lesson for some of those executives when it's like, all right, let's expand to this, this, that, and the other. It's like, all right, maybe we'll do this expansion versus, you know, expand to five or seven markets. We'll do two markets. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I think some of that stuff uh, could be a good lesson for some of these companies yeah. as well. Cause it's like, you know, grow, 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 grow. And you know, it's easy to point, say that Todd, but then no, when, when, when the money's in the there, moment, and in the, the moment, there. it's impossible not to say, wow, 45 billion, mm -hmm. we need to do this. I mean, it's, yeah. you know, I, I, it's always hindsight that we're talking about. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Moving along, I want to talk about um, Colin from Dave Birch, who we've, I, I follow. He writes in Forbes and uh, I've met him several times. Really, really interesting guy, particularly when it comes to talking about digital identity, but he writes about DeFi and, you know, there's been a lot of um, you know, DeFi have actually come through true DeFi has come through this kind of, uh, um, you know, ch challenges of the last few months fairly well. And he's talking about, like, not, he's talking about tokenization, um, basically tokenizing real world assets. He said could bring trillion dollars, trillions of dollars into DeFi, um, but we're going to need new identity infrastructure. Um, we're going to need, uh, you know, you know, tr you know the, the whole kind of raft of compliance type, uh, uh, compliance layer, shall we say. And, um, you know, transparency is, is one of the great things, but there also needs to be privacy. You can't have businesses don't work on things that are being completely transparent. So he basically, his point was that when all this settles, the technology is, fantastic and is going to change the world well, i mean a lot of the even the a lot of the issues that we've been talking about with some of the crypto firms it's i mean these are people issues that made decisions to put money in instruments that were not liquid or you know over levered the company i mean if you look at the technology as a, a the baseline of of understanding it's not like the technology itself failed 
and so I think we need to sometimes separate the two. Um, but you know, maybe this is going to be slowly becoming the age of rake tech because there's so much that still needs to be done there, especially with identity and everything that, you know, before we adopt it at large scale, which is potentially what Dave's talking about here. Um, you know, the, it's not like we can just jump there from where we are today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree that a lot has to be done with identity. I do wonder how much can, that can be done. That's truly decentralized mainly because if you saw the government came out, I can't remember which organization it was recently saying that there's going to need to be one party that's responsible. And just given watching all the collapses, at least there are people that can be held accountable uh, if what they did was like wrong or illegal. And if you're truly decentralized and you don't have that person to be held accountable, I don't understand how the government's gonna, you know, how that's gonna fly. Now, what can they shut down and what can they not? I think they can make lives difficult. And we're watching this all the time when people are trying to do interesting things like SBF and the government just says, no, you can't do it. You know, we've watched companies leave the U.S. and go out of the country when the U.S. is just like, no, not happening. You know, you've watched India and China shut down um, a lot here and you've watched other countries like like Singapore uh, uh, really get ahead. Um, so and it'll be interesting to see if Singapore like switches tunes too because they had a couple of their companies right go bankrupt and that's not at all how they want their their country to be portrayed of people um, that are you know entrepreneurs not being good stewards of capital. So um, I, I I really do wonder of how decentralized organizations really can be and what the government's going to do to kind of kind of prevent them not having any control of someone being accountable. Yeah, yeah. I mean that maybe the yeah, recourse is big. Yeah, that, that, that's a really good point. Really good point. Um, just before we go on, I just uh, a quick plug. I, I interviewed the um, CEO of I don't know if you know Securency, um, securrency.com. They uh, I interviewed the CEO on my podcast this week. It's coming out a week from tomorrow, and boy, are they an interesting company. They have they have really focused all on the compliance piece and have uh, have pretty much solved it. And for DeFi, they, they think so. Really interesting, uh, interesting work going on there. Anyway, let's move on. One another, another Forbes columnist, a good friend of the show. He's been a host several times. Ron Shevlin. Um, how banks can compete in the post neo bank era was his column this week, and he basically says that you know the old paradigm for banking, you know, getting attracting deposits through branches, and that's that's obviously gone and it's not coming back but he's saying what's going to replace it and he's he basically says there's two strategies that is going to really make an impact on banking and that is first is what he calls embedded finance that's banks offering their um you know basically offering their services through third parties to attract to attract large numbers of new customers at a low cost and then the other piece is what he's calling embedded fintech, which is sort of the opposite thing and having banks basically partner with fintechs to offer the fintech services. So he says, I need to have a strategy for both um, and they need to basically, uh, you know, have a what he calls a targeted, you know, embedded finance strategy. And that's what he thinks is, uh, is what's going to save banking. So thoughts? I feel like compared to some of these neo banks, the traditional banks are looking okay these days. Um, <laughs> so, but I do. We kind of, we kind of always believe that that um, you know partnering with a lot of these banks seem to be the right way to go, both for 
um, the, on the startup side so they can get business. And a lot of these banks do have like long-term relationships and access to a lot of customers. And then on the banking side, it just ways for them to monetize their customers um, more. Uh, and so, or, you know, if they have the infrastructure and then they can partner with others, again, another way to monetize what they already have. So um, I, I thought it was a great, you know, article and in great points um, that, that startups and banks and credit unions, whatever, are all going to work together. And I think it just, it'll, it'll create a bigger pie for everybody. Mm-hmm. I think now's the you know, kind of the perfect time to do it because, you know, there's going to be a lot of fintechs that might be hurting in their traditional business model. Um, and, you know, finding different ways to work with, banks and maybe get you know aqua hired or, or something along those lines where you know the the company doesn't necessarily go away but you know lots of pieces of it are acquired by a, a bank and then they can uh, you know figure out ways to either use the technology or uh, embed the tech it's you know a natural evolution and and where banks need to go okay so we're going to close it down this week with a story about goldman sachs and it's about the new, um, the exodus of people from Goldman Sachs. We're talking about the the new Walmart um, Ribbit venture. It's now called One. Um, that's in capital letters, O N E. And um, <laughs> they, you know, they've basically they've hired five people directly from Goldman Sachs um, recently, just in the last couple of months. And they've had four who used to work at Goldman Sachs. Now, keep in mind, the head of one is Omar Ismail. I've actually been emailing him back and forth. We're trying to get a set up a time to chat because um, uh, I want to, I, I, you know, I've known Omar really well from his days at uh, Goldman Sachs. He's uh, spoken at our event a couple of times and, uh, Really, we're really interested in what he's building, and he's building something big. And uh, you know, he's building it. It looks like with some of his old buddies from Goldman Sachs. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we know we love one. We we'd initially invested in it before the whole uh, Walmart uh, Robert JV, uh, and um, and I think it's it's a really fabulous team. What they've built is great. Uh, if you don't have the card, I, I have it. I think it's wonderful. We've been testing it for a while. So it's great to see them pick up more talent. And I think, you know, Walmart, they were always one of the biggest um, providers of financial services. I, I might have said this before, but uh, Walmart is the largest uh, check casher in the U.S. and mm -hmm. also at the cheapest rates than anyone else uh, and per square foot of their store. I still think that's their most profitable per, foot, uh, per square foot where they sell financial services. I know with Green Dot, it worked really well. So they have access to so many people and they definitely have the breath. So I'm excited both for the one team and also just uh, for the general population because I think Walmart can do financial services well and probably cheaper than anyone else. Right. Especially for those that don't that live kind of near the edges of, mm -hmm. um, you know, the pay scale. Um, and when it comes to that type of income, you need financial services that are infinitely more cheaper than what a traditional bank can offer and what some other uh, offerings uh, cost as well. Right, yep. right. Anyway, we are out of time. Um, we need to wrap it up here. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you for your comments. Sorry we couldn't get to get to your comments here. Um, we uh, will be back same time next week. Thank you, Todd. Thank you, Kat. And uh, see you next week. See ya. See ya. Thanks, Kat. Thanks. Bye, guys. <laughs>